Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. Reading from Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what do people say that the Son of God is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jen. Good morning, Genesis. And good morning, everyone online. So when I found Jesus, I was in the wilderness. Well, as much of a spiritual wilderness as a five-year-old can experience. Um, I come from a family with a lot of dysfunction at home. And um, a lot of cultural Christianity, which is very indicative in a black family's home. Um, and so I've told this story before, so I won't go into it too, too much. But I ended up going to, to a vacation Bible school because my mom needed childcare. And so I showed up in this church, in this place, where I kind of had an idea of who Jesus was because I heard his name in my home, but I really didn't know who, who Jesus was. I didn't actually experience a space that talked about Jesus. Um, and so I walked in as a little five-year-old, knowing that I was going to be there for the whole day and the whole week. And I walk in, and the sweetest woman named Missy introduces herself to me and she gets down on my level and she says what age how old are you and I told her and she was like you're with my group and she led me off to her group and then she sat me and a bunch of five-year-olds down and she gave us graham crackers and she said have your snack and she said I'm going to teach you a song and so she said okay here's a song and she said Jesus is the rock of my salvation his banner over me is love and all of us big, wide-eyed, are, like, looking at her. Because this song is, like, speaking to that, like, PBS Mr. Rogers, like, <laughs> love of melody and tone, but it's about Jesus. And she's like, but wait, there's hand motions. And she goes, Jesus is the rock of my salvation. His banner over me is love. And she's like, do you want to do that? And we're like, oh, yes. yes. So we're all like, okay, okay. And she's like, Jesus, and we're like, Jesus is the rock of my salvation. His banner over me is love. And I was hooked. I was like, Jesus, graham crackers, Kool-Aid, sweet woman, here we go. This is my life. This is where I want to be all the time. And I was 
all the time. They used to joke that I, my, my parents used to joke that like I was the one that was like holding the family's spirituality together because I was the one who was sitting on the porch Sunday morning holding my Bible, waiting for the church van to come pick me up and I would pray for my family so, so much on my porch. And then I would go and then I would sit in Missy's class and we would continue to sing songs like, Jesus is the rock of my salvation. And I was so happy. I was so happy and so in love with Jesus. And I know that sounds weird to say, like, as a child, I I was in love with Jesus, but I was convinced that Jesus loved me. And because I was convinced of that, I wanted to love Jesus too. And so that that was my entry point into my life of faith. But we grow up, right? And so as I get older, I'm learning all of these new things that are required of me in order to be loved by God, or in order to experience the love of God. And some of these things make sense, like read the Bible so you understand who God is, pray so you spend some time talking to God. But then there were other things like treat your neighbor a certain way, but that didn't feel loving because that neighbor didn't believe exactly as I believed. Or things like pray in this certain language when I'm like, I have asked over and over again for God to give me a prayer language and and it's all fake. It's all, it doesn't feel right at all. So as I grew up and I started to, to still really love Jesus, but not quite sure that that love was authentic and as pure as it was as a child, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go away to Bible college and I, I'm going to figure out exactly what I believe. And once I get my head stuff right, then I can, then like my heart will follow. Like if my head feels good about what I believe, then my heart will follow. Well, then I get to Bible college, the same Bible college, the same denomination that I was going to. And it was just like hyperdrive of all the things that made me feel uncomfortable about my faith in this space that I was paying money for. And so I entered into a a different kind of wilderness where I was not quite sure who Jesus was to me anymore. Like I, I knew that Jesus and I had a sweet thing when I was younger, but then I thought, well, is that thing lost? Like the more that I grew, I grew up, and the more that I understood the world, and, and, and I actually started to question whether or not Jesus really had anything to do with that. Is my love, was my love for Jesus just like a childish thing? Kind of like how now I look at Mr. Rogers, and I was like, you were my dude then. I love you so much. And now... Like, I respect you. Like, you're, you're not that best friend that put on the cardigan and was like, I'm so glad you're here. Now it's like, I know stuff about your life. I know about your swimming. I know about the weight you needed to stay at. Like, I know things about you. And I respect you, but I don't know that I love you. In our passage today, I'm fascinated by this question from Jesus. Who do you say I am? I'm fascinated because... It's such an incredibly vulnerable question from Jesus. I mean, why does he even care? Shouldn't he be content with proclaiming who he is and enforcing his authority whenever his identity is questioned? And I think this is why Jesus was so confusing to his disciples. He zigged when they expected him to zag. And in this moment, one where it was prob- he was probably expected to show up in a certain way, he brought a different way, a way of inviting his disciples to wrestle with the question of who do you say I am? 
I mean, you super loved me when I was like with you and the, and the boat was full of fish. And you like super loved me, Peter, when I pulled you out of the water. But like now that we've experienced some things and now that we kind of understand the complexity of, being, of, of living a different way, the dangers that come with it, who do you say I am? Do you love me? Or do you respect me? Who do you say I am? And this question, as unexpected as it may be from Jesus, is an essential question that every Jesus follower has to ask ourselves in various spaces in our spiritual journeys. It is the question of the wilderness. So I was talking to one of my kids about faith, and he said to me, Mom, do you think anybody can truly be an atheist? And that question caught me off guard because I've tried to encourage my kids to be curious and respectful of other people's faith journeys. And that question kind of threw me off. It felt like it had judgment vibes around it. And so I wondered in that moment, is he in his own sort of wilderness? And is he asking the question, who is Jesus? And how do I relate to him? So I answered him slowly and I said, yeah, I I think someone can be an atheist. I think someone can be so convinced that there is no God and so they don't think about God as a part of their lives. And he got quiet. He said, but in not thinking about God, they are still thinking about God. I mean, they have an opinion about God. So can you truly not believe in God if you allow yourself to have an opinion about God? And I shrugged because part of my spiritual practice is to say, I don't know, and fix it, Jesus. I didn't have an answer for him. I didn't want to perform intelligence. So but he went back to listening to his music, and, and I, I, I've come to that question several times as I think about our spiritual journeys. Can we truly not have an opinion about God? I think a better question is, is to ask ourselves, what is our opinion about God? What do we believe about Jesus and who Jesus is? That is the question that Jesus poses to his friends. See, how we answer this question matters. It reveals what we believe about Jesus, yes, but it also reveals what we hope to be true about Jesus and how we need Jesus to be present in our actual current lives. For example, if you believe that God is like This divine scorekeeper who just keeps track of all of your things, all of your deeds. Well, then you're going to be living a certain way. You're going to constantly feeling like somebody's looking over your shoulder, like you always feel like somebody's watching you, right? If you believe that uh, Jesus is this go-between you from an angry, wrathful, vengeful deity and your little old imperfect self, then you probably have this unsettled, walking on eggshells feeling when you pray. And when you think about spiritual practices like prayer or fasting or giving or serving, it's this kind of like, I don't know, God. I don't know. You might be like, Jesus, you suffered so much for me, and, and you're like holding back this angry God from me. And listen, I am so, so sorry, but I don't think I can pay you back for all that you've done. And I'm like super confused because like I super love you, and, but you like super love that angry deity. So like I don't know what to do with that. How we answer the question of who 
do, who do we say Jesus is, is deeply impactful to how we move through the world as Jesus followers, how we live into our spirituality, and how we walk confidently in the wilderness. But if you believe something a little bit more hopeful, that gives you the confidence to walk in that wilderness, something like Hebrews 1.3 that says Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, then you won't believe that there's this angry deity. You'll start believing that God is loving and kind and patient and present and brave and sacrificial and a healer and a companion and a teacher and all of these beautiful things that we saw in Jesus who said, I don't call you my servants, I call you my friend. You begin to live with a little bit more hope. And you begin to experience the joyful, joyful, we adore the spirit of moving through the world. What we believe about God matters. Who we say Jesus is matters, which is why Peter's response is so profound. And it's so profound that Jesus said, this is what I'm going to build my whole church on. Peter, Simon Peter says, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. When Jesus asked this question, who do you say the Son of Man is? A few disciples spoke up, and what they said was fine. Nothing that they said was untrue. They said, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah. So basically, Jesus, you're like one of those prophets we respect. And it's totally true that people believe this about Jesus. I mean, the way he was teaching and the miraculous ways he cared for people, it was obvious that Jesus was not just some typical, regular, ordinary guy. Jesus was and is Emmanuel, God with us. God's response to our greatest need of restoration and redemption from an overwhelming world. This is why when I read Jesus' response to who do you say I am, I read his, his question and the response as so tender and so trusting. He cares about what his disciples believe about him because he knows that what they believe about him will change the world. No one else knew or experienced Jesus in the same way as his disciples. Their assessment of Jesus and their call to follow him mattered because it was the most because he their experience with him was the most credible experience and the most credible assessment ever. Of all the people who followed Jesus, the thousands, Jesus pulled this group of his friends to a place and asked them, who do you say I am? So then Simon says to to Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And in this, he speaks a word of liberation and hope. He speaks a word of clarity and change. He speaks a word from his heart and his own experience. And this is no small thing for Simon Peter. At this point, Simon, he's not Peter yet. We'll get there. There's no small thing. He was a Jewish man who had been waiting for the Messiah, who had experienced Jesus as someone who zigged when he expected this Messiah to zag. Simon wanted Jesus to show up in this, like, like this um, violent and, and overthrowy and, like, super bravado posture. He wanted Jesus to show up and make everything right by force, but Jesus showed up and made everything righteous by love. And so this is what Simon is saying. You and the way that you show up for people, you have shown that you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Jesus wasn't the Messiah that Simon expected, but he was the Messiah that Simon needed. 
And this is what happens in the wilderness, my friends. We find Jesus is different, more, better than who we expected him to be. What, one thing that you need to know about this gathering is that Jesus took his friends out of the city. In fact, he took them to Caesarea Philippi, which is known as this lush, beautiful place. There's, there's running water, waterfalls, and he took them to this place. It's actually like two days away from the, Gal- from the Sea of Galilee, and it is northern um, Israel. So he, he gathered them and took them on a wilderness journey in order to have this conversation with them. In order for them to talk freely and openly and be full-chested about their devotion to him. In order for them to see Jesus more clearly. You see, the Messiah that Simon was waiting for, like I said, was one who would facilitate the overthrowing of the oppressive, oppressive Roman Empire and bring liberation through force. But in that space with Jesus where he could think back to his own experiences of Jesus, where he could look around and hear the stories of how Jesus showed up. As they held that space, that is what prompted him to say, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus was not the Messiah that Simon expected, but the Messiah that he needed. And so my question for you is, how have you expected Jesus to show up? and be a certain way? And how has that gotten in the way of you accessing a space of love and a hopeful proclamation about your face? How the lies and the misunderstandings around who Jesus was or what you expected Jesus to do got in the way of you having a joyful faith? How does Jesus need to show up for you as the Messiah that you need in this wilderness? I want to invite you to kind of sit with this because the wilderness does not have to be a scary place of desolation, but one of flowing water and green places to rest and the sounds of nature soothing your mind and body so that your soul can connect with God so that you can do that work of reclaiming your vision of who Jesus is, saying, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God to me. Jesus was not the Messiah that Simon expected, but the Messiah he needed. And when he replied that, when he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus then delighted and celebrated and gave him a new name, one of confidence, Peter the Rock. And I wonder if in our own wildernesses, as we wander, can we be open to having our expectation of Jesus challenged so that we can have the same clarity and hope and full-chested, wholehearted revelation of Simon, now Simon Peter, whose faithful proclamation is what the church is built upon. I think this is what many of us want in our wandering and our wondering of God. Confidence and to know that God calls us by name, knows our name. One of the most impactful moments in my life where Jesus became the Messiah that I needed was when I read Jesus and the Disinherited, and I completely forgot to bring the book. I remembered the gumbo for book club, but I forgot to bring the book, so, you know, priorities. (laughs) And in Jesus and the Disinherited, uh, Howard Thurman talks about how Jesus understood what it was like to have his back up against the wall. 
that Jesus understood what it was like to not feel like he was enough, to not feel like he was protected and cared for and seen. And that that is an important part of our spiritual formation, to know that Jesus gets it. So I wonder, as we close, what aspect of Jesus and the way that he moved through the world is meaningful for you? Where have you experienced your own back against the wall, feeling like you're not seen or known or loved? And how can you trust Jesus to meet you there? One of my favorite ways of of getting to know other Christians is asking them, what's your favorite Jesus story or what's your favorite parable? And I love doing that because then it tells me a little bit of how they need Jesus to show up as Messiah for them. Oh, you love the story of the prodigal son? You need to know the unconditional radical love of Jesus. Oh, you're into that table flipping scene in the temple? Oh, you need to know that God cares about integrity, sees corruption, and intends to do something about it. Oh, you love and Jesus taught in the temple as a small child? You need to know that your earnestness, your childlike faith, your wonder is welcomed here. So if you are leaving this place and you're wondering, how do I discern how I need Jesus to show up for me? Maybe think about your favorite parable or your favorite Jesus story and ask the Spirit to show you what do you need from that story. And so I will close by inviting you to sing along with me. Jesus is the rock of my salvation. Because our faith, friends, is a living faith. It's a lush and vibrant faith. It's a faith that hopefully, hopefully draws us to each other and draws us to Jesus. It's a faith that Jesus says his church will be built upon. It is the rock of our salvation. So, will you join me? And if you know the hand motions, do it with me. <laughs> so we'll sing together, and I'll invite us into a moment of silence, and then we'll move into our prayer of confession. Jesus is the rock of my salvation. His banner over me is love. Let's do it two more times. Jesus is the rock of my salvation. His banner over me is love. Jesus is the rock of my salvation. His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. Join me in a moment of silence and then our confession. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit genesiscov.org.